Who are you? I'm Cobb Vance, Marshal of Mos Pelgo. Where did you get the armor? Bought off some Jawas. Hand it over. Look, pal, I'm sure you call the shots where you come from, but round here, I'm the one who tells folks what to do. Take it off. Or I will. We gonna do this in front of the kid? He's seen worse. Right here, then? Right here. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 402, The Marshal. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the mudhorn to my bantha, we've got Carl LeClaire. <laughs> oh, sorry, Jason. I'm just trying to clean off a second. I got all this mud on me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look out, there's a dragon. Oh, he ate the Tuscan. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. So it's it's finally here. It came out of it felt to me a little bit like it came out of nowhere. The yes. season 2 premiere. I mean, obviously we were so geared up for it last week. It was so fun revisiting, you know, all the episodes of the first season. And then just like that, you know, boom, it's here. Uh season 2. It has begun. It has begun. It has spoken. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. So chapter nine, the marshal just really came out swinging. You know, it's, it's a great, great episode of the Mandalorian. And we're going to be talking all about that in this episode. Um, so be advised, we are going to spoil the heck out of this episode. Um, we are going to assume if you listen to the show, uh, you know, if you choose to listen to this episode, it's because you've seen the show. Um, if you've not seen the show and don't want to be spoiled, please come back to this episode because we are not going to withhold any information. Um, so just be advised now. Yes. All the spoilers, all the Easter eggs, all the, oh my gosh, did that actually happen? Yes, it did. Um, we're going to talk about it. So uh, if you continue beyond this point, that means you have either seen Chapter 9 of The Mandalorian or you don't care about spoilers. So either way, it works for us. Uh, but you have been warned. Yes. Um, but before we before we dive into the episode, um, uh, we had uh, a, a great poll. You know, last week Jason and I ranked our episodes for you, um, and and waited on which which particular episode of season one was our favorite. And of course, we asked all of you with last week's poll what your favorite episode of season one of Mandalorian was. And Jason. Uh, we got quite a plethora of responses once again. We did. Uh, interestingly enough, the only episode that did not get a vote is uh, Chapter 7, The Reckoning. But 
In fifth place, with one vote each, we have Chapter 1, The Mandalorian, um, and Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. In fourth place, with uh, four vote, or excuse me, three votes each, we've got Chapter 6, The Prisoner, and Chapter 8, Redemption. In third place, with four votes, um, we have Chapter 4, Sanctuary, which... Uh, is my favorite. Um, so I was very happy to see that one high up on our list. Uh, in second place with five votes, we've got chapter two, the child, which is Carl's favorite. Um, and then, uh, that leaves us with six votes for the number one favorite episode of our Larian listeners, uh, chapter three, the sin, which I can't say I'm terribly surprised one. Yeah. So that's a great episode. It is. Yeah, I mean, they're all great in their own way. And if you want to know why we think so, listen to last week's episode. <laughs> oh, Definitely. my gosh. Um, so as always, thank you for, for participating in the poll, y'all. Um, and we've got another – we've got a, a really fun new style matchup for you at the end of the episode. So stick around for that. Um, before we dive into kind of our dissection of Chapter 9, The Marshal, just a reminder, we are back with the A New Hope radio drama at the end of the episode. So if you feel inclined to stick around to that, we are up to chat, um, Episode 11, The Jedi Nexus. We are coming towards the end of the A New Hope radio drama. Hopefully you've been enjoying listening along with us. Um, and Jason and I will be be back at it. And I th- at this point, I think it's going to be uh, our first episode in December is going to be a breakdown of the new hope radio drama. Um, yeah. So really looking forward to that. Very, very excited. Um, and I uh, just uh, a quick, just one quick plug before we dive in um, to just invite you. If you're a relatively new listener or you've never had a chance to write us a review in the iTunes store, we really uh, appreciate anybody who can take the time to do that. Again, it just makes the show more visible to other folks. So if, you, if, if you've never written an iTunes review before, uh, we would really appreciate that. Um, so thank you to those of you who have, and thank you to those of you who will. Indeed, indeed. We greatly appreciate it. So, But um, <laughs> I, think, I think without any further ado, we should, we should just talk about Mandalorian chapter nine yes so spoilers ahead you've been warned as jason said oh that rhymed (laughs) (laughs) congratulations you're a poet and you didn't even know it (laughs) oh my goodness um anyway so how do we want to do this we want to just like talk about it kind of sequentially i mean i don't want to do a book report here if if you're listening at this point we're going to assume you've seen it so we need to tell you what you saw but um well, Maybe I just, think overall, Carl, just general thoughts on yes. the episode, mm, like mm. what you're feeling after it, you know, uh, any particularly, you know, standout moments, things like that. You know, what, what, what's what's the, the walk away uh, sense you got from this episode? You know, uh, like I said, kind of at the top, I mean, the first time I sat down and watched it, I was like, this is great. I, I loved it. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I felt like it drew me right back into that world that that Mandalorian gave us in the first season. Um, and, uh, you know, it, a lot of great sequences, um, a lot of great visual, excuse me, a lot of great visuals. Um, but, you know, I've, I've watched it four times now. And I will say the, the way it ended, 
I will say this. So the first viewing, the way it ended, that closing shot and who who gets revealed, um, just pumped me right up. You know, it was so cool. And while it was, you know, kind of in the in the spoilery uh, hopper for months now that that you know Boba Fett might show up. Um, it was really cool to see that, even though I'm not a Boba Fett fan particularly. It was really mm-hmm. neat. So I left that first episode like, wow, that was so good. But I will say with subsequent watchings, like you and I were talking about this before we started recording, like I feel like it was a good episode. It was not one of my favorite Mandalorian episodes by by any stretch. Um, it was a little too long in some regards um, for me. Um, I felt like there, there, there could have been some better editing to like trim this down a little bit. Um, but overall, like it was a really solid um Welcome back to the Mandalorian world episode. And, and I love it for that. Um, but what about you? What, what were your kind of initial takeaways? Um, pretty similar to you. Uh, I, I had a, a blast with this episode. It was, um, it was a little interesting, uh, kind of getting a sneak peek at where the season is kind of headed, uh, in the opening, uh, sequence. But then we we took a detour, it felt mm. like. Um, and I'm not complaining because it was a really interesting and really fun detour. But it was just sort of like, oh, okay. Um, it, it, it was like we got sidetracked a little bit. And I feel like that's probably just going to be happening to Mando, you know, Din and, and the child the whole time is that he's going to be, uh, you know, trying to, to work on this quest that he's got. Uh, and things keep happening that draw him off a little bit or draw him into something, you know, and, and it just takes longer to get where he's trying to go. Um, and if it's that, this kind of distraction, I think I'll be okay with it. Um, but it is one of those things where I'm like, I walked away going, this was a fun episode, but there, there wasn't like, a lot of meat to the overall arc of the season in it. Um, there was some good setup and a, a skeleton that for the season I thought uh, was sort of um, established, but then it sort of detoured to the accessories rather than fleshing out that uh, the meat of, of the overarching story. So mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 for but sure. They were fun accessories, accessories. So I, I, I had a blast with it. So, um, and I, with you, the reveal of Boba Fett was, uh, pretty cool. Uh, I have been on record as saying he's the most overrated character in Star Wars. Um, and I do not disown that statement whatsoever, <laughs> but, uh, the way that he was revealed here was really good. Yeah. Um, it it means there's a story behind what has happened since Return of the Jedi. Yeah, especially since we saw him without the helmet. Yes, and we know that once you take it off, you can't put it back on, according to Din, right. um, at least in front of a living creature. So there's a story there, and I'm very interested to see if we get that in this show or if that gets taken care of elsewhere. I honestly wouldn't put it past Dave and Joe to just throw that in there and be like, all right, check out this book or this video game that's coming out uh, to find out what happened to Boba Fett, you know, and why he's there. 
Like they just threw an Easter egg of Boba Fett in there and that's it. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they did that, but I have a feeling he'll be back, especially if you get Tamora Morrison to stare right into the camera. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll say that that was kind of my, like you, I'm not a particularly huge Boba Fett fan anymore. I mean, as a kid I was, because I thought he was just really cool looking, but as kind of an adult fan, um, I'm with you. He, he's one of the most overrated characters in my opinion as well. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't hate him. He does still look really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I will say the reason I was mostly excited about it was because it was Tamora Morrison, not because it's Boba Fett, but again, to me, it's just, it's giving a stronger credence to how much the prequels matter. And it's, you know, you know, obviously you and I both love the prequel trilogy so much. So the more they give respect and honor that, um, the happier I'm going to (laughs) be. Um, so that, you know, it, it was just so cool to be like, oh my god, Tamora Morrison is back in Star Wars, and and that's that was the main reason I was excited more than like, oh cool, Boba Fett's back. To me, it was like, oh cool, yeah. Tamora Morrison's back. <laughs> so, um, right. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I was I was just gonna say, uh, I one of the things though I will say, and this was something that I loved about the first season, um, and this is something I feel like a lot of the Disney star Wars movies have, have not done a good job of, which again is world building um, and making me more curious about kind of the cultures and the planets that are going on around us. Like in the sequel trilogy, there's like maybe three planets that I'm vaguely interested in. (laughs) That's it. Um, (laughs) And and I don't mean to be like a jerk by saying that, but I just don't think that they're very well fleshed out in the way that like the things in the prequels or the originals are. Um, But something I remember after watching chapter two, the first couple of times last year um, of the Mandalorian, I went and reread part of the tales of Moss Eisley book because I wanted to read the story of the Jawas and the Tusken Raiders again. Um, (laughs) Well, after watching this episode, I actually just started rereading as my nighttime book, uh, the old Legends novel, The Mandalorian Armor, which is the first book in the Bounty Hunter War trilogy. And it came out, I believe, in 96. Um, And it's the story of how Dengar rescues Boba Fett out of the Sarlacc pit. Um, So it's kind of like it's that story of how did Boba Fett survive? So I was like, this is so cool that they're like tapping into some of these old cool legend things. They're probably going to create their own new stories about them. But it's fun because it made me excited to like go back and be like, oh, what did they originally do with this? Right. Um, And and I don't mean to sound like a curmudgeonly old fan of like, well, this is what I remember from my day. No, but it just it just (laughs) it just got me excited about that story that I haven't thought about in a long time. So I picked up the only other piece that has ever looked at that story and just started rereading it again. And to me, that's a huge testament to things I've loved that the Mandalorian has done is it's made me interested in some of the um, old ancillary star Wars material. Um, So uh, to me, that was a a rousing success. Yeah, no, that, that it definitely, definitely does some really cool things. Um, Do we want to talk about the opening segment or do we want to skip right to doing no, let's do the I, the opening segment is great. Yeah, and and like I said, this is kind of what really gives us a a real look into what the skeleton of this season is going to be. You know, he's trying to find Mandalorians so that he can use their the you know link of coverts in order to travel through to find you know the the child's race or species or whatever you know the 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 sorcerers the jedi (laughs) uh, whatever this might be um and so it does put some credence to other rumors of other characters 
that have been rumored to show up in this season, um, perhaps showing up in the future. So obviously we got Boba Fett already. There's been rumors out there that we're going to see Bo-Katan and Sabine. So that, that adds a little bit of weight to possibly being able to see those characters. Um, but we'll see what happens. But it, it is one of those things where uh, that intrigues me a little bit. And I've never been like a huge Mandalorian fanboy, as everybody knows. But the getting into the sort of the the different coverts of the tribes and the uh, the clans of the Mandalorians is interesting to me uh, because we haven't really explored that before. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and right, I mean that there's a lot of food for thought because when we finally get the the fully fleshed out backstory montage of of Din Djarin, um in chapter 8, you know, we we see that we see those Mandalorians that came to rescue him have the death watch on their um um on their shoulder plates. Um yeah. so but that raises the question is is this uh Bo-Katan's death watch or was it you know, the remnants of the ones that were still allied to Maul. I mean, we can yeah. assume probably not Mauls because they're fighting the Separatist army. Um, so there's a good chance Din may even know who Bo-Katan is. Um, yeah. But we've seen her take her helmet off plenty of times. So who knows? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Um, right. But, you know, different, different, you know, clans have different, you know, rules, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah, but anyway, we just we just totally took a side quest, just like the episode does, Jason, um, yep. in our own breakdown. Uh, but yeah, let's yep. you know, looking at the way that the episode begins with Mandalorian kind of you know showing up in in kind of these you know grungy streets, you know, city walls covered in graffiti, you know, very clearly uh, what looks to be clone trooper helmets with X's over them in some of the graffiti. Mm-hmm. So you know, just just a a very seedy place, and it's. A place that obviously Din is very comfortable in, um, comfortable enough to bring the child with him, um, <laughs> right? And oh my gosh, how cool is it to see Gamorian Gamorians fighting in a cage fight like that? And they're not fat, <laughs> you know? Well, no, uh, yeah, no, that was that was pretty cool. I, I love, I love it when something like this takes all the aliens that we've seen everywhere and puts them all in one place and adds new stuff. Because, yeah. you know, we got some of, um, was it uh, Bulio from the beginning of uh, The Rise of Skywalker? We got one of his species in there. Is it, is it Bulio? Are, the, the one who gives them the plans? Yeah. There's a Bulio in there? Well, well that's, his, that's his name. That's the right? character's name. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember the species, but I didn't realize yeah, yeah. there was one of those in there. Oh, it makes me so happy. Yeah, she, it was a female and she was like, uh, you know, like a bluish Oh man, color! I gotta go uh, rewatch. She had like the same horn. Uh, oh, I love it. Yeah, I love you know, it was one of those. But we had Gamorreans, and you know, obviously, uh, Twi'lek was the uh, the doorman. You know, so it was nice to kind of see a bunch of different things happening all at once. Um, so, plus, I think some new alien characters in there too so yeah well again um, mandalorian seems to understand how to do aliens in a way that once again some of the sequels did not which is give us some familiar stuff but also give us new stuff whereas the sequels is like hey check out all these new things that kind of look like star wars aliens but kind of don't (laughs) 
<laughs> again, <laughs> my opinion, my maybe a little too critical opinion, but um, yeah, I mean, I love that. Like you say, I mean, when when you're getting those panning shots of you know in the arena, there are definitely lots of new ki- kinds of aliens, but there are plenty of old aliens that again give you that grounded Star Wars feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then of course you know the the crime boss double crosses him. <laughs> yeah. Which um Gore Koresh. A, yeah, Gore Koresh. I for a split second I thought it might have been John Favreau. It's his voice. Is kind of, it is okay, it is, it his, is voice. his voice. Okay. And then the actor that plays him, oh my gosh, I'm gonna blank on his name, but he's he's been in lots of John Favreau's stuff before. He's a very popular actor. Oh my gosh. Uh, I can see his face. He's in. He's actually in Moulin Rouge with Ewan McGregor. He was in Chef, that John Favreau movie. He's kind of his assistant chef. Um, okay. Really big name actor. I'm. I'm blank. I'm sure folks are yelling yelling the name right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't let him do the voice. That kind of annoyed me because it's like Favreau's already done a couple of voices. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, but very very cool character. Um, obviously a bit of a crime boss and. My favorite part of this opening sequence is just Mandalorian fighting. Um, once he, yeah. you know, uses the whistling birds to take out the guys holding guns on him. Um, also, credit to the the trailers we've gotten. Pretty much the entire trailers were covered within like the first five minutes of this episode, which is kind of cool because it's like yes. there is so much in this season where we haven't even gotten a glimpse of yet. Um, yeah, but I love the fight where he kind of again hand like i talked about a little bit in our in our episode last week i've really enjoyed the hand-to-hand fighting choreography we've gotten in mandalorian so seeing mandalorian go up against against like four you know professional fighters and just totally kick their butts was awesome and what really stood out to me was actually how he uses his beskar specifically the beskar helmet as a tool of 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 the of combat right like he literally leans into a punch with his helmet and you see the guy shake his hand because he just punched pure steel right Um, right he turned the armor that is supposed to be defensive into an offensive weapon yeah it's and to me it's just like yes like this is what it means to be a mandalorian your beskar and this is why beskar is so important to them because it's you know just like a lightsaber is the extension of a jedi and as in, in their sense of being a warrior well, the Beskar is very much part of being a warrior as a Mandalorian. Um, you know, it it was it was said a lot in the first season how important the Beskar is to the Mandalorians. And just with this very quick sequence, we see why. We see how, you know, again, the warrior becomes one with that armor and they use that as a weapon itself. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I loved it. I mean, it's good. It's it, it'd be like somebody walking into like an MMA arena and like three of the top MMA fighters attack you and they just and this person just kicks your butt. <laughs> so, um, right. You know, it's like um, like Walker, Texas Ranger. I don't know. So, uh, yes, <laughs> except, for, except he has really uh, tight jeans on whenever he kicks butt. So that's true. And there were no roundhouse kicks in this one either. So <laughs> with slow motion Sorry. falling. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Ah, ah, from like three different angles. So, um, <laughs> oh, what a show! We have both watched a lot of Walker Texas Ranger. Apparently. That was a great show. It, it was oh like my, my first actual like weekly viewing show was Walker. Um, you know, aside from like you know kids TV or whatever. But anyways, oh my god, I oh, yeah, 
Oh back my to, gosh. Back to this. Yes. Back then to- he gets the information uh, about the Mandalorian hiding on Mos Pelgo and uh, leaves the crime boss dangling. He doesn't kill him, but you know, he doesn't necessarily stop the creatures in the street from eating his face. So, yeah, Mandalorian. He's uh, he's uh, yeah, he's he's a little brutal, isn't he? Just a bit. Uh, which is, you know, I, I know my brother was happy to see that kind of thing because, you know, he was a little concerned that uh, the, you know, the child was sort of going to just take over everything and, you know, we wouldn't get all the cool uh, bounty hunter action and stuff and, you know, that sort of thing uh, anymore. So I know my brother was happy to see that, but yeah. uh, I, it's, it's nice to know that we're we're going to still get both. So right. right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and you know he uh, when he strikes the deal, he's like, uh, you know, I promise you will not die by my hand. But he doesn't promise that he won't die. And I don't know what those creatures are, but that was like they're kind of scary, which was kind of cool. Like I was like, wow, these little things. As soon as he shoots out the light, are just like surrounding him. Um, oh, yeah. And then you know, Mandalorian walks towards us, and we just get the theme. <laughs> Suspecting stranger had better know the truth of wrong from right. Cause the eyes of the ranger are upon you. <laughs> Any wrong you do, he's, he's gonna, gonna see. When you're in Texas, look behind you. Find you. Cause that's where the Mandalorian's gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God. I watched way too much Walker, Texas There's Ranger. There's no such thing as watching too much Walker, Texas Ranger, Jason. Re- that rescind true. that statement. <laughs> That's true. Oh, I wish I had been able to cue that up quicker. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're both Westerns, Mandalorian and Walker. <laughs> so. Exactly. Oh, my then gosh. Then we Tatooine. Yes. Uh, we get to see Peli and her pit droids again. Um, and obviously, and we, yo, sorry, I cut you off. Go yeah, ahead. and we get to see the change in Mando because he lets the pit droids go over the ship. I guess he so. likes droids now. <laughs> okay. Hey, watch it. He's just barely trusting your kind. You want to give all droids a bad name? I love Pelly. She's, she's one of my favorites. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, you know, the fact that he. Oh, better let them have at it. The the crest could use a, a good once over. It again, like it's it's something so simple, but it shows he is a totally different character in his his regard towards droids than he was in the first season. Um, that yep. experience with IG Eleven. I mean, l- kind of like we talked about last week that the episode title is Redemption, and part of what he's redeemed in is is seeing droids as not inherently evil. <laughs> you know. Um, so he is a he he has grown a lot as a character, and then of course, Pelly calls on R five D four, the good old trusted uh, droid that had a bad motivator um, years before. So, Jason, remind me: is Mandalorian is five years after Return of the Jedi? Is that right? Uh, y- yes, or uh, yes, it's about five years. It's yeah, it's four That's or five what, years. I can't remember. I thought exactly, it was ten. And somebody five. was like, "No, no, 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 it's five. And I was like, "Okay, that makes more sense." No. Um, yeah, but yeah. So, and I, I, 
I'm not taking credit for this because I saw it on Instagram today, but somebody had posted like like a couple of like the Easter egg shots from this episode. And they pointed out that you can they actually put the scorch mark on the top of R5D4's head where the motivator blew, which, again, just just like these yeah. are like silly little like fan servicey things. But again, they're not at the detriment to the story. They're just there. Um, they, you know, R5D4 being the droid that, you know, shows the map of Tatooine. It could have been any old droid, but making R5-D4 is just like, oh, that's really neat, you know? But if you're kind of a new Star Wars fan, you're not, like, distracted by it either. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's not like – and it's not like the camera zooms way in on him or anything like that. It, it, you know, shows him rolling out, but it's not like, aha, ha, 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 look, see, see, (laughs) see, you know? Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's – it was really cool to see that. Uh, there was some really great Easter eggs in here. Oh, yeah. My favorite, though, um, skipping ahead, my favorite Easter egg is the Marshall Speeder. So, Oh, sure. Oh, God. sure. Anakin's pod racer engine modified to have, uh, you know, speeder controls in a seat. Um, yeah, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, very awesome. <laughs> um oh. Well, it's great because then, you know, speaking of speeder bikes, you know, Mandalorian is going to go find this Moss Moss Pelgo. And, you know, um, Pelly basically says, you don't want to take the Razor Crest. So he's like, hey, you still got that speeder? Referring to the one that he had, (laughs) that Toro Calican had. Um, And and then we get, to me, my favorite sequence, my favorite part of this episode is him riding that speeder because of that music. And I am so bummed. We don't have the score yet. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, oh my gosh, like once again, like a very quick reminder of just the genius of Ludwin Gorenson. Because that music he's playing as Mando is riding the speeder bike, and, and especially as he comes into Mos Pelgo, the way that the theme that he wrote for that particular sequence then becomes it's played completely on a guitar like it's a very it becomes like this very western type of music stylistically um and uh i did a little bit of research last week because again the whole first season whenever a new episode was released later that day it would be available on spotify and i imagine to purchase where you can purchase music and it wasn't it was not available you know that on friday it wasn't available all weekend here it is tuesday it's still not up so i did a little bit of digging over the weekend and apparently they are planning to release it sometime in november um which again i'm hoping we'll get that you know week to week each each episode soundtrack like we like we did last season um and if and if we do that's really doubly exciting because november we're also supposed to get the release of the extended solo soundtrack um from john powell so november is looking to be a very good star wars musical month i'm very excited about Uh that Um, Uh uh-huh but yeah you know that just that music as he's riding the speeder is so so good um and 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 i'll say this like i was at the beginning when he's like, oh, we're going back to Tatooine, my first thought was is like, oh, a Mandalorian on Tatooine, it's obviously Boba Fett, right? Who else can it be? Um, yeah. And it, it, I won't lie, like part of me was like, like back to Tatooine again? Come on, can we go to another planet? Um, but I will say I really commend them on on going to Mos Pelgo, like this new place we know nothing about. So while mm-hmm. we're on a planet we've been to a million times um, and it still feels like that planet all along. Obviously, he lands in Mos Eisley. Uh, you know, we're seeing the dunes of, of Tatooine. Um, but it's it's just really cool to see a different 
type of town and it is very much a western town right like oh, when he yeah. rolls in and i mean i just uh, i enjoy a good western movie like i find them to be very fun um yes and uh and that's exactly what it felt like as he rolls into moss pelgo uh, it was like riding his horse and down main street while everyone you know everyone is standing out there on the side of the street you know staring at him because he's the stranger in town and things like that you know um that was totally what it was uh um, and we get the the appearance of Boba's armor, which I was like, oh, no, no, I don't want this. I don't want Boba involved like this. Yeah. And then he took off his helmet and I was like, oh, good. Um, and it made it a lot more interesting. Yeah. So um, I, I like the martial character of Van- Cor Vance. No, Cobb Vance. Vance. Co- Cobb Vance. Cobb Vance. Cobb Vance. Thank you. Um, I like him a lot. He's a he's a cool new character. Yeah. Um. So. um oh, what was it? Yeah. So uh, right before we get into that, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little slow on all my queuing up tonight, but I'm just trying to go with the flow here. But you know, thinking again, yeah, him him coming into Mos Pelgo, it's got like that that Western feel. Oh, alone. Some good old Rio. Rock- and I wonder. As I wander by the river where It's a theme song from Rio Bravo. Sorry, I was just excited to play a Western song. It's Dean Martin, but gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. it doesn't sound very Western, but that's all right. Um yeah. but yeah. Um yeah, it, Cobb Vantho, very cool character. Um yeah. and a cool journey. Yeah, and so you know, probably if you're listening to this, you've probably a good chance you've already seen this in, in other sources because I I didn't remember this at all until um, you know my friends Ben and Greg pointed it out in our group text that Cobb Vanth was first introduced in the Aftermath trilogy um, by Chuck Wendig, and I didn't remember that. So it's, it's apparently in one of the interlude sections, and there's a story about how he is the character that gets Boba Fett's armor. Um, I. Did not for the life of me remember that part of the Aftermath books. Um, I can't remember which book it was in. Um, I want to say the first one, um, which is probably why I don't remember it because it's been yeah. so long. Um, I but, remember there being a story about somebody getting Boba Fett's armor. I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, so uh, that was Cobb Vanth. And, and he, he's named in it too. As He's Cobb okay. Vanth. And he uh, he becomes the like the kind of the watcher of a town called Freetown. So Moss Pelgo is also Freetown from the Aftermath aftermath trilogy um and it's interesting because once we get the backstory of Cobb vanth and what happens you know with the the mining guild men showing up and just slaughtering people and enslaving them to 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 work the mines when he comes back he talks about how when he got that armor when he finally got that armor off the jawas he saw it as his 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 method of freedom so Mm -hmm. it kind of to me it's like oh this is really cool like they renamed moss pelgo freetown um, granted, it's not called that in the show, but according to the Aftermath book, it's now known as Freetown. And that's just kind of neat because Cobb, Cobb Vanth also is, you know, with that backstory, once again, he's he really is kind of your typical Western sheriff, right? He's just kind of the good character who, um, in kind of a lawless place, creates a sense of order to keep the chaos at bay. Um, mm-hmm. So I won't lie, like in the the first scene with him. Like, again, it was it was very brilliantly shot when when the Mandalorian is talking to the weak 
Weequay bartender and says, you know, I'm looking for a Mandalorian. He looks like me. Oh, you mean the marshal? And then we, the camera, like, and the music builds, and we go and we see the armor of Boba Fett. And I was like, really doesn't look like Boba Fett, though. Like, he's kind of tall and lanky. Not that Boba right. Fett's like a big buff guy, but like, it just looked a bit odd. And then when he sits down and pulls that helmet off, I love how it kind of, the camera focuses on Din Djarin's response to that, which is like, he kind of is taken aback for a second because like, you don't do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he quick, and, and then we see the guy's face and you're like, all right, that's not Boba Fett. It even says, and then he immediately tells us like, wow, like, I've never seen a real Mandalorian before. I bet you're not happy to see me wearing this, are you? You yeah. know? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, so he's just got the armor. So. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? What did you what do you think of Cobb Vanth? What kind of what do you, what are your takeaways of this character? Well, overall, I love the story that he his character went on, you know, just the whole episode. Um I the you know, determination to want to save um, his town from from the mining guild and everything, and and doing what he can, uh, you know, coming back, you know, once he has the armor and the the weapons, uh, to do so, and then just staying watch, staying vigilant, um, is a, a very commendable thing. But then, obviously, he's challenged when he has to work with the Tuscans, you know, to take down the crate dragon, um. And it was really good and and nice to see the the journey that he had to go through um, to get to that point because it's not easy because the Tuscan Raiders are brutal. They raided the town. They they killed people, um, and now he's just supposed to work with them. You know, so it was it was nice to to kind of see that. Um, and and watch that happen and uh, come to a, a place of understanding and, and um, acceptance of each other to the point where they can work together and we'll probably have a you know a peaceful relationship moving forward so yeah yeah and I, and you know at the end he he shakes din's hand and says I hope to see you again and the Mandalorian says I hope to see you again sometimes you know I hope to see you again soon you know, too. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him again either. You right. know, he's yeah. a, he's a, he's a good character. I like, I like Cobb Vance. Yeah. So, what about you? Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, again, the initial meeting of him, I'm like, hey, I'm not a fan. Um, but then once we get his, you know, I'm telling his story, I was like, I love this guy. And, and again, like just kind of your quintessential, like Western good guy. Um, you know, and, you know, he grew up on Tatooine. That's where he's always been. And he sees the people of his town of Mos Pelgo kind of, you know, being oppressed. And his responses is like, what can I do to help? You know, I mean, it's just a very simple but good natured response of like, how can I help these people? And he comes across this armor and he knows what he's what he wants to do and what he needs to do. You know, he's going to stand up for these helpless people. Um, I will say, uh, you know, I. I love when we get the sequence of him in the sand crawler and um, and they, you know, Ludwig Gorenson again gives us the music, the Jawa music that we got from chapter two. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I would love to see this. And again, I am in no way an artist, but I would love any of you if you're listening, if you're, you know, particularly good at art, I would love to see just because 
of course the Jawas would have ridden their sand crawler out to the pit of Carcoon after the sail barge blew up. Cause it's like, of oh. course there's lots to scavenge there. I would love to see someone do a really cool print of the Jawas just gathering up Boba Fett's <laughs> um, equipment, you know? Um, so uh, sorry, spoiler alert here for a book that is now like 20 over 20 years old, but in the Mandalorian armor novel, which again, I told you, I kind of just started picking up again. Um, Basically, when Boba Fett, he gets out of the Sarlacc because he killed it. Um, he basically, you know, uses all the weapons still in his armored arsenal to to destroy the Sarlacc, and it basically throws him up. But he is his armor is so badly burned by the like the acid that the Sarlacc uses to digest you that he pretty much casts all the armor is like laying all over the place. The only thing he's lay he's basically laying in the desert in like just like some smoldering clothes and his helmet when Dengar finds him. Um, so I like the idea that maybe even in this story, Boba Fett, when he does get out of it, whether it's because he killed the Sarlacc or just somehow climbed out, um, it's neat to think that like he had to, for some reason, just like strip himself of the armor. Um, so, you know, like that's again, while I'm not a huge Boba Fett fan, it just, it's like, Oh, I'd love to hear that story. Like I want to hear how he got out. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. Cause we see how Din does, at the end here with the crate dragon, you know? And so it's like, well, I can see how Boba could have survived, you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a really cool reflection on like um, something Quill teaches Mandalorian in chapter seven is, you know, droids are not good or bad. They are neutral reflections of those who imprint upon them. The same could be said about battle armor, right? Um, Boba Fett's armor in his hands is a tool of bounty hunting. It's it's kind of it's it's a weaponized use to make money. <laughs> but when Cobb Vanth gets it, it becomes a tool of protection. It becomes at the use of those who can't protect themselves. So again, the armor itself is kind of just a neutral thing. It just exists. But who who uses it and to what ends do they use it is what gives it its value. Um, so Cobb Vanth is not Boba Fett. He's not using this just to make a profit. He's using this to care for others. So kind of like Mandalorian and like, you know, you hinted at that closing scene between the two of them where they do have this like mutual bond. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit here, but um, to me, it's like, this is why they bond is because they're both men of honor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are both men of honor, both very um, committed to, uh, what they see as their mission, you know, for Din, it's this quest that he's now on with the child, uh, for Cobb Vanth, it's the safety and security of Mos Pelgo. Um, so, and, and thankfully for the two of them, their paths were brought together, uh, and they didn't have to get into a shootout because a great dragon showed up. Yeah. Great dragon, Carl. Yeah. First time we, we're we ever seeing one. <laughs> we, we saw a great dragon for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, oh, dear God. They're mammoth. Well, this one is at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So I remember in the Kenobi novel by John Jackson Miller that came out right before Disney took over. The yes. book ends. So, again, sorry, spoiler here. But the book ends with Obi-Wan fighting a great dragon. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. I do. I don't, I don't think it was this big. how it goes. Yeah. I but... mean, he kills it. Um, yeah, I, 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 know that. I just don't remember yeah. how that all goes down, but I remember he kills it, and it's, yeah. it's impressive. I can't um, imagine it was as big as this one. <laughs> and we see the bones of a crate dragon in A New Hope 
It's also not nearly as big as this one. This is a big yeah, one. This, this is a biggie. This yeah. is a biggie. Um, it definitely has a – I've recently listened to the audiobook for Dune because the new movie was supposed to come out at the end of this year, which has now been pushed to next year. Ugh. Um, but uh, – so I wanted to, to listen to the book. Mm. Uh, this episode uh, definitely has a a definite Dune – um, sensibility to it with the crate dragon in particular, but also with the um, sort of the dynamic between uh, the Tuscans and Mos Pelgo with the, the different peoples uh, on Dune in that book. So uh, there's definitely some homages and nods to, to that book uh, in this episode um, oh, cool. for anyone out there who has read or listened to the book itself or seen the old movies. So, um, but yeah, nice. I yeah. That was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, the, the way they use the crate dragon is kind of this creature that burrows too, right. That kind of comes up out of the ground. Also made me, do you remember the movie tremors? I didn't watch that. <laughs> there but, are several of yeah. them and they get more ridiculous obviously as, as the sequels go on, but it's essentially mm-hmm. like these big worm like things that live under the desert and they come up and eat you. Um, it kind of reminded me of tremors in that regard, like the, the way the town shakes and the thing yeah. comes flying through the sand. Um, I got to say quick, like, like you said, the child is obviously very much a side, you know, just kind of there. But mm-hmm. to me, one of the cutest moments other than his ears flapping with the speeder bike again yes. is definitely though, when the earthquake starts as the crate dragon starts coming towards Mos Pelgo and the child just kind of like slowly lets himself down onto the floor. Cause he's like kind of freaked out. It's just so yeah. cute. So, so cute. Um, him, him poking his head up out of the, the spittoon yeah. <laughs> is hilarious to me. Oh, so funny. like, that can't be, nice in there um <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah um but yeah so right so then the the show then turns into this kind of negotiation piece um and this to me is where the show just kind of i don't know it just seems to go kind of slowly um and while i liked a lot of this stuff it there's a again i feel like maybe it could have been trimmed down somehow i don't know exactly how that's but it does feel a bit long. But I do love this theme of, again, it, it's it's a very simple theme of we need to work together. Um, we need to take these two peoples that, you know, have always been opposed to one another and have strongly hated one another and get them to work right. together um, because there's a far greater benefit by working in, you know, working in cooperation as opposed to competition. Um, so, you know, I, I love that scene when... Uh, Cobb Vanth is taking the Mandalorian to find where the crate dragon is. And then what are the names of those Tuscan dogs that we first see in attack of the clones? Uh, Mastiff Mastiff. So freaking cool. So again, like that was something that got me super jazzed. Cause obviously, you know, I, you and I are both coming off of this attack of the clones high, um, um, from just mm-hmm. a few weeks ago and spoiler alert, it's going to continue in a few weeks. Um, but, uh, we're on an attack at the clones. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, which means we get to talk about it because it's our podcast. Yeah. So. yeah. We're going to be revisiting attack of the clones in the next few weeks. So heads up for that. Um, but uh, it was just so cool to see them again. Like uh, it's, it's like, Oh yeah, the prequels are great. Let's, let's bring in more of that stuff. Um, yeah. And now, you know, in chapter five, 
of the first season, we see the Mandalorian able to sign with the Tuscans. Now we see, hear him able to speak like a Tuscan. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you've you got a great campfire scene. I love a good campfire scene in Star Wars. Again, that's a very quintessential Western type of, of moment. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's second only to balcony scenes for Carl. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, they're, they're essentially offering a peace pipe to Cobb Vanth with that like interesting looking shell type thing. They break open for him to drink from, uh, yeah. Um, obviously he refuses to, he's still, you know, still very arrogant about welcoming these people. Um, but it's a great sequence. Um, and the thing I love is when they realize that they need both the Tuscans and the people of Mos Pelgo to work together to take out this crate. And, Cobb goes to recruit the town and I love what the Mandalorian says about the Tuscan Raiders. Cause he says the, the Mandalor or the, the Tuscan Raiders are a brutal people, but they're from the Dune sea and it's a brutal space and they've mm-hmm. lived for over a thousand years. And again, like we talked about this last week a little bit with the way he's able to kind of just, have this respect for the Tuscan culture. Cause again, I do see in a lot of ways, there's similarities between a Mandalorian and, and a Tuscan, like the Tuscan culture. It's kind of a warrior culture. It's a very brutal culture, again, indicative of where they're from. So of course the Mandalorian has a tremendous respect for them. Um, and I love the way that they kind of just humanize them. Are they Raiders? Yeah, they sure are, but they're also a people of their word and they've vowed to help you. And if you help them, they'll never attack you again. Um, until you un- unless you provoke it. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I loved that moment so much. Um, cause it just, it, you know, it immediately made me think of, you know, again, in our own world, like the, the, the tremendous amount of misunderstanding about middle Eastern culture from people from the West, you know, it's, it's a very different culture. It's a much harsher, brutal climate. Um, oh. and, and, and it breeds a certain type of culture that is different from our own. It doesn't make it evil. It just makes it different. Um, and and to bring it even closer to home, you know, and more to the genre, you know, the difference between uh, settlers and the native tribes, yeah. you know, so that's that is exactly what this is. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, settlers just trying to make their way, trying to survive and figure out how to do things and coming into, you know, conflict, naturally speaking, for the same resources as the native tribes have already been there before, you know, and and there's clashes that happen. Um and it, it's it's unfortunate, but in many cases kind of unavoidable because of how they each see each other. Yeah. So, yeah, you know. yeah. But it's it's just some it's some great stuff. Um, and and I love it once they've kind of agreed to, and the Tuscans come riding into the town. I think you pointed out before we were recording that that's a musical part you really enjoyed. Yeah, it was it was a really great. Uh, great musical moment because it, it sort of had this kind of tense but you know epic sound to it as the camera panned up and you just see uh the the banthas riding up with all the tuscans and everything like that i love i love that shot in general um i like banthas mm. i do like banthas a lot they're a cool creature to me um, it might slightly be because the original Banthas were elephants in costume and elephants are my favorite animal. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that that shot, that musical moment was just a really great 
great piece, and I this I haven't had a chance to listen to the you know re- watch the episode that much as, as much as you have, Carl. So I can't like pick out what that theme was, but it sounded you know indicative of of something. Maybe I can't remember if it was you know one of the other themes that he had started in the episode or yeah I, sort of part of the Mandalorian theme. I think it's um, I do I I honestly can't say exactly either. And again, I really hopefully we'll get these scores sooner rather than later. Um, but mm-hmm. it, do, it did actually seem like an interesting combination of kind of that, that speeder bike theme and kind of the Mandalorian theme. Um, mm-hmm. It had yeah. seemed like it had elements of both of them. Um, yeah. it, but it was, but it was also this really kind of tense, yeah. like, you know, almost, uh, you know, good, the bad and the ugly kind of sound to it, you know, with the, the whistle, the, you know, thing going on. So, you know, a little bit of that in there. So it was, uh, it was a really great moment for me, just visually and audially, visually and audio wise. So, um, yeah, I, I liked that yeah. moment a lot. Something, so. well, my, my, my buddy Greg pointed out, he goes, if you notice every time you see the Banthas riding, they ride in single file to hide their numbers, which again, like just such a cool little, like, attention to detail you know if they had been riding two abreast i'm sure yes there would have been some star wars nerd out there that was like they're not supposed to do that but just the fact that they did it like again i would i honestly would not have noticed but like again greg pointed out he's like hey did you notice that they're riding in single file I'm like oh that's so cool i didn't even i didn't even pay attention to that um yeah but you know you know, in this tense moment of them showing up in the village and then the one Tuscan accidentally drops one of the explosives and the villagers all like, what are you trying to do? Carl? Like just, you know, being kind of yeah. a jerk about it. And I love how Cobb Vanth just comes in and, you know, it was an accident. It was an accident. Like just, I don't know. Like he, it seems like he is like the perfect mediator now. Like he has, and it took the Mandalorian to show him that, right? Cause he was just like the rest of the villagers. Like, I'm here to protect them from bandits and the sand people. But then mm-hmm. Din Djarin in- introduces them as people. Like they're a very different people, but they're still people. So it's like really cool that in, in some ways, like Mandalorian teaches him that lesson. And this is again, why I love Cobb Vanth is because he's humble enough to learn something, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. humble enough to learn something beyond his own prejudices. Um, and, and I just love that quick moment. He's just like, yo, it was an accident. And, 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 essentially comes to the defense of the Tuscan in that moment. I, I, I love that moment. That's when I really loved Cobb Vanth. Yeah. Um, and then he was just like, yeah, after, uh, after that, he walks back over to the Mandalorian. He's like, it's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. Great. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of those little kind of, uh, moments that were added a nice bit of levity to everything going on. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but I think we got to talk. I think we got to talk about, the fight, the crate the fight. fight. Yeah. The dragon fight. The first thing I want to say about it is I do love how they go there. And weirdly enough, I don't know how I missed this the first couple times I watched, but um, the Mandalorian is explaining to, explaining to Cobb Vanth why they know so much about the crate dragon is because they actually go regularly to feed it a bantha. And again, this, this reminded me a lot of like kind of a more indigenous culture where they see these kind of like awesome powerful parts of creation as something sacred almost like it's almost as if they they take like an offering to the gods if you will right like they bring the bantha to like the crate dragon as if it were a god of some kind and he tells Cobb Vanth they do this because the more it eats the longer it sleeps so 
it's less of a threat when it's sleeping, right? So they right. regularly bring it a bantha offering um, to, you know, kind of keep it asleep. And again, this reminded me of something from the Kenobi novel by John Jackson Miller. And again, that's obviously now a Legends book. But in that book, they, you know, one of the main characters is actually one of the Tuscan war leaders. And we learn a lot about the Tuscan culture in that book. And one of the things we learn is that a Tuscan and their their bantha are bonded for life, right? Again, kind of like a Mandalorian and his Beskar or a Jedi and their lightsaber. So the fact that they offer up banthas, and again, like, yes, I'm drawing now from Legends material, but still, like, it really shows what a sacrifice it is. Like, they are willingly giving up something very sacred to them in their banthas to kind of appease this mighty, terrible god, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it, it and you don't necessarily even have to have that legends material to, to see how integral mm. the banthas are to the Tuscan culture because it's everywhere. I mean, you, you get, you get a Tuscan cleaning a bantha's teeth in this episode, you know, like that's the, these are important to them. Um, so, and, and it's the, their primary, if not only mode of transportation across the desert. So, they are integral, they are important, and, you know, giving up a bantha um, when you have primitive means of, of domesticating and breeding them, um, so to speak, um, is a big deal. So, yeah. 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 Um, when they are setting up for, um, you know, they're burying the bombs and everything, setting up for the actual, you know, to lure the crate dragon out. Um, yeah. they play some really great music, um, from again, chapter two, and this is the music that plays while Quill and the Mandalorian are, um, reconstructed. Yep. This right here. This is, this is Ludwig Göransson's Mandalorian working music. Yeah. And, you know, even more than just working music, it made me think of, all right, well, what's that? What's going on in that, that first time that music is heard? Well, you have these two characters working together, tackling something that seems almost impossible. Like, oh, how are we going to do this? Is, you know, Mandalorian uh, without a work crew or whatever, how are we going to get this done? It's about how when you work together, you can surmount anything. And so I love that that's the musical theme going on here is it's about these these two peoples working together, the, the villagers and the Tuscans, to kind of try to tackle this what seems to be an impossible task. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a great call. Um, I do love that. And I do like that in specific moments um, – music is reused because it's, it's, it's reused a few times in this episode, but not yeah. heavily. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate that uh, where it's appropriate. It is, it is reused, but it's not relying on existing material completely. So, right. um, but I will say, I love the, the fight with the crate dragon. I think it's a, a pretty epic fight. Um, my one complaint is that we don't get a full 
showing of the crate dragon. Like I want to mm. see the entire dragon. I want to see how big this is. I want to see what it looks like from head to tail, you know, because I, I got to know, I want to know, I, you know, <laughs> I got to see what this looks like. You know, we've just seen the, you know, the head and, and vertebrae skeleton previous. Um, and we don't get a whole lot more than that, you know, visible in the episode. So, um, you know, it's it's digging under the ground. It's bursting out of, you know, sand dunes and, you know, the, the rock outcroppings and things like that. It's got its acid um, yeah. sp- uh, spit. I don't Which know. So it, cool because it's like a dragon that breathes fire, right? Exactly. You know. Um, also, yeah. It's interesting to note where it lives. It lives in an abandoned Sarlacc pit. There's no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc pit. There is if you eat the Sarlacc. Oh, Mm -hmm. like again, just gives like a simple statement like that gives you kind of the pecking order (laughs) of of the creatures of Tatooine. Oh, you thought Sarlaccs were the worst? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Nuh-uh. 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 No, Sarlaccs are pretty bad. This is the the dominant predator on Tatooine, though. Yeah. No question about it. It's a good thing that they live way way far away from places <laughs> um i'll say the thing i enjoyed the most about it is how they changed the aspect ratio during the crate dragon battle um now you said oh, you watched cool. it on your computer maybe you didn't notice it as well and I, I don't mean that to be like rude or anything i mean i'm lucky enough to have like a nice big tv and i noticed so the shot when the tusk the three tuscans come running at the screen and the crate dragon comes up out of the sand you'll notice that the letter boxes just slowly like go to the bottom and top and it becomes a full screen shot almost like you're in an imax theater mm-hmm. and then the rest of the fight is in um again like this big full screen imax format and then once the mandalorian leaves at the end of the episode and he gets on the speeder and drives off towards the setting suns the letterboxing comes back in it's it's just so brilliantly done it's some it seems like so simple but it's so intelligent to me yeah i i never i've watched it twice now and i never picked out where it it expanded but i always saw it come back in because it was almost like you know as he's riding away it's it's like you know kind of the the old west thing where the it starts to kind of close out a bit and as they ride off into the sunset you know that sort of thing so i was like that's a nice touch uh but i i couldn't ever remember i i didn't ever pick out initially where it had expanded out to the imax thing but i I like yeah it's 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 very organic the way they yeah it's very organic the way they do it the Tuscans are coming running at you and as they're running at you and the crate comes out of the sand the letterboxing just slowly um, you know, dissipates. Um, and it's not like it disappears. Again, it's like it pushes. It's almost like the crate dragon coming up out of the sand pushes pushes itself into this full screen format. It's it's just like a really neat little little detail that they chose to do, I thought. Yeah, I'm watching. Yep, there it is. I'm watching it right now. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's a cool, cool transition. Um, um I love the shot of Cobb Vanth and Mandalorian flying into action. They're finally like, all right, this ain't working. We got to step up and do something. You know, we blew its belly. We thought didn't work. So they kind of, you know, it's just so cool to see two Mandalorian jetpacks flying and just taking shots. Mm-hmm. I, I also love the weaponry that's used. Again, a 
I mean, the Mandalorian's rifle, which is obviously a direct, um, oh, uh, I mean, it's the same rifle that Boba Fett uses in the holiday special cartoon. Yeah. But it has like a very Western rifle feel to it, like an old West. And even the guns that the Tuscan use and the Tuscans use, and even a lot of the, the, the rifles that the villagers use remind me of old, like smooth bore muskets from like the colonial times. Um, so again, just, again, just like simple little touches like that really give it that Western feel. Yeah, um, definitely. But, and this is, this is very much a Western story, you know, uh, Star Wars in some small aspect is a bit of a, an intergalactic Western anyways, but this is really like Star Wars as a Western uh, this episode in particular, and it pulls it off brilliantly. Yeah. Um, it works very, very well. Yeah. So, so um, here's my question for you. Yes, Carl. Um, why do you think? Because you know, at first when I watched it, it was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Like Mandalorian choosing to let himself get swallowed with the bantha. Why does he do that? Like that's kind of a big bolt. And, and he says to Cobb Vanth, "Take care of the child." Like. It don't, mm-hmm. To me, it's almost like abrupt. Like, why would you pass off this very important quest of yours to somebody you barely know and possibly allow yourself to die? Like, why do you what's what do you think is going in going on behind his thought process there? Why is he doing that? Well, I, I think part of it is I think he thinks this is going to work. Mm. So I don't think he's s- super worried about it. But I think he he knows that he needs to just keep everything up, uh, you know, open. You know, I I think he's I think he's concerned, but I I think he's also in a sense a bit confident in his armor to protect him and in the idea that he has. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, but at this point, the crate dragon has become this this thing to not only you know has to be taken down to to protect both the villagers of Mos Pelgo and the Tuscan tribe um here but it has almost become a bit of a of a proving ground for Din himself you know mm. to to if he can take this down with the villagers and the Tuscans help, you know, it's just another step to him proving I can do this, you know, because he is someone who is very unsure of himself in many cases. And we saw that a lot in season one. He's, you know, I can't, can I do this? You know, that sort of thing. He's very, you know, very much sort of apprehensive sometimes when it comes to the bigger things like going up against, Moff Gideon and things like that and I mean last time we saw him he got kind of trounced a bit you know he almost died because of Moff Gideon and all the you know the Galactic Empire and everything like that and so here's the next big challenge maybe he can take this one down you know regain his confidence so I think that's part of it too yeah what do you think well I was thinking about it a lot tonight because I was like why is he doing this um and to me, it's simply because he promised to help these people. Yeah. And he's going to do whatever it takes to fulfill that promise as a man of honor. Um, and like, that's the thing I just kind of kept going back to as I was thinking about it today. 
was, I think that's really all it is, is, you know, um, as a Mandalorian, when he makes a promise to do something, when he makes a promise to, to help with something, he's going to see it through to the very end, no matter what else that might impede him from. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Um, and you know, I mean, it, you know, the first time I watched it, I of course was thinking of like Jonah and the belly of the, you know, the great fish, (laughs) um, you know, kind of that story of, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many mythological stories about being swallowed by the beast. Um, I mean, that's part of a hero's journey too. you know, being swallowed by the, by the beast. Um, mm-hmm. So the, kind of the mythical implications are, are, are big there in that regard. But I think, you know, in the heat of the moment for this character, it's just about, Hey, I made a promise and a commitment to these people. I got to do it. Um, yeah. And I think, you're right. And yeah. you know, that this isn't the, the only story where the hero, you know, dives down the, the throat of a giant creature to, to kill it from the inside either. So, yeah. um, yeah. you know, even modern stories. So it's, it's, uh, it's something that's, that's done, been done many times before over. So, yeah, but I, I like it. I like it. And I like the fact that you're saying, yeah, it's, it's because he promised to help. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's has to stay true to his word. Right. So they take it down because of that. <laughs> um, yep. and you know, we get this kind of neat shot of the, the Tuscans immediately starting to, you know, cut up the, cut it up the meat and whatnot. Um, and they pull out this pearl <laughs> from the inside mm-hmm. of the crate dragon, which apparently is a quest. Again, my buddy Greg was telling us this cause I never played Knights of the old Republic. Um, but apparently that's a quest in, in that old video game where you can go get this, uh, like pearl out of the, that comes from the inside of a crate dragon. Um, so I never played that game, but like, again, a really cool homage is something that's, that's existed in star Wars before. Um, I just love how the Mandalorian is taking a massive crate dragon stake back to, I'm assuming Peli <laughs> to, to pay her for her help. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if she'll get the whole thing, but she'll at least get a, a nice chunk in thanks, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That's um, I, I love that. I, I like how he, he's picking up friends all over the galaxy and Peli is now one of them. So yes. um yes. she's you know, if this thing ever spawns or or you know, reproduces, you know, uh, I'll I'll t- gladly pay for the offspring. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. But just not kid, really. Just kidding. But not really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then you have this like really wonderful moment of these two of these two like uh, characters of honor bidding farewell, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really do think that the Mandalorian has a tremendous respect for Cobb Vanth. Um, and Cobb Vanth is a man of his word too. He promised he'd give him the armor if he helped, and he helped. So here's that armor. Um, yep. Uh, and it, and it is a really cool visual shot of the Mandalorian riding the speeder bike where you have Boba Fett's helmet hanging off the side. I mean, again, just really neat storytelling. I mean, Boba Fett is the original Mandalorian in star Wars and, yeah. you know, from basically 1979 on from his first appearance in the holiday special cartoon, you know, it just captured people's imaginations because of how cool he looked. And now you have the Mandalorian who is a product of that excitement, right? Yes. He's in Boba Fett's not a very incredibly well fleshed out character still. And that's okay. Um, but Mandalorian is, so it's like, I just love that visual of the Boba Fett helmet. Like this is where the, this story comes from people's fascination with this mysterious character. 
Um, I yeah. just thought that was a really cool visual. Yeah. And then, of course, he rides off into the sun's set and Boba is watching him. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, that's just an interesting thing. You know, it makes you wonder, all right, well, first of all, he's got Tuscan weapons, so he's no longer at least living like a Mandalorian. Um, but then also makes you wonder, is he coming back? You know, right. <laughs> are we going to return to Tatooine again? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's my question is, is all right, he sees the Mandalorian presumably, but how can he even, I mean, it seems like he's pretty far away. I didn't see him with any Binox, so I don't know if he sees that he's got his armor or whatnot. Um, but the episode does end without seeing almost you know, every single episode of the Mandalorian up until now, you see the Mandalorian leave where he was. You always see him actively leaving in the Razor Crest, but you don't get that in this episode. So does that mean the next episode is chapter 10 going to somehow have Boba Fett show up and have a confrontation with the Mandalorian? I don't know. And I'm excited to see. That's an interesting point. I hadn't put that together. That could happen. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah. So, Um, yeah, I, I just think it's a, it was a really fun you know, first episode, um, I'm really, you know, obviously we, we're, we're talking about the quest that he's been sent on. Um, and I'm really interested to see how that develops and shapes the rest of this, this season. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. But this was definitely a nice, you know, welcome back yeah. to, to the show. Absolutely. And... Um, you know, just a couple more days, we get to see chapter 10 and see, see what shakes out. Will, will we see Boba Fett show up right away? Or is that something that's just going to be teased for now? And we know he's back now and we'll see how that plays out as time goes on. Time will tell. Time will tell. Um, but there you have it. There are our thoughts on chapter nine, the Marshall. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, feel free to share your own. Uh, let us know what you think, you know, in the comment section, wherever you see this posted, um, you know, uh, always great to hear what other folks, uh, you know, or anything big you took away from the episode that we didn't, we didn't touch on. Always awesome to see what other people are thinking about, um, after mm-hmm. watching this stuff. Um, uh, before we go, like I said, at the top of the show, we do have a, inter- a really interesting kind of matchup for you for next week. Yeah, actually, for yeah, we're- two weeks from now, I apologize, because next week we'll be back. We have a, a really great special guest coming on for uh, Star Wars lessons next week, and I'm really excited to have her on. So uh, hopefully you'll, you'll check in on that next week. Um, it'll be it'll be a great discussion. Um, but we do have a matchup for two weeks from now when we are back with the regular episode where we're going to start diving back into Attack of the Clones. Yes, I'm super excited about that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, but the matchup, we are pitting a couple of monster fights against each other. <laughs> want to see, you know, which one is your favorite? So we're picking from the Mandalorian, since we are talking about the Mandalorian. So we're going to pit the Mudhorn fight versus the Crate Dragon fight. And we want to see which one you all like better. So Mudhorn fight versus Crate Dragon fight. <laughs> 
Carl. Yes. If people want to weigh in on the matchup or weigh in on anything we discussed in this episode or just their general excitement and thoughts on the Mandalorian itself, where can people do that? I had to get that all thing out. <laughs> so, if you would like to weigh in on the matchup um, or get involved with uh, the Star Wars conversation anyway, you can do that over on Twitter. Uh, we are uh, at Wampas Lair. We are on Facebook at Wampas Lair Podcast. You can email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at the underscore Wampas Lair. And, of course, you can support the show on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash wampaslayer. Yes. And if you uh, join the Patreon, we've got a Patreon-exclusive Discord where you can join us in conversation and talk about all sorts of fun things. Um, so check out those options over there. Anything else you got, Carl, before we close out this episode? Uh, just a reminder, stick around if you want for um, episode 11 of the A New Hope radio drama. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. This has been episode number 402, The Marshal. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. Star Wars, Episode 11, The Jedi Nexus. Long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there came a time of revolution when rebels united to challenge a tyrannical empire. Now, many strands in the web of galactic events have come together on board the empire's ultimate weapon, an enormous space-going fortress called the Death Star. At large in its vast interior, pursued by Imperial stormtroopers, are a strange assortment of rebels. Luke Skywalker and his droids R2-D2 and C-3PO, the Princess Leia Organa, and the veteran Jedi Knight Ben Kenobi. Allied with them by necessity are Captain Han Solo of the Millennium Falcon and his co-pilot Chewbacca, a pair of reckless smugglers. And arrayed against these seven are the powers of a determined and merciless empire and its most feared agent, Darth Vader. I assure you, Governor Tarkin, he is here. Obi-Wan Kenobi? What makes you think so, Vader? I sensed his aura clinging to that starship we captured. A tremor in the Force. Last time I felt it was in the presence of my old master. If there is anyone on that starship, the scanning crew will detect them. But surely Kenobi must be dead by now. Do not underestimate the power of the Force. 
Obi-Wan Kenobi is a Jedi Knight. He is capable of things that would seem impossible to ordinary men. Men who understand only their machines and the things they can see and touch. Men like me, is this what you're implying? I tell you, Vader, the Jedi are extinct. Their fire has gone out of the universe, as you should well know, having brought that about. You, my friend, are all that's left of their religion. I think not. Well, enough of this. I had thought the Princess Leia might still be of use to us in locating the rebel base, but since the ship we captured appears to be empty, I have cancelled her reprieve. I intend to have her executed at... Well, what is it? Governor Tarkin, we have an alert in detention block AA-23. It seems the Princess has escaped somehow. We're not quite sure yet how the it Princess, happened. put all sections on alert. Locate her and any other rebels at once. Yes, sir. Obi-Wan Kenobi is here. The Force is with him. If you're right, he will not be allowed to escape. Escape may not be his plan, but the other rebels can be of use to us in the manner we discussed. I suggest you make the necessary arrangements at once. And General Kenobi? Patterns are emerging that have great meaning for the Jedi. This nexus of events is brought about by the Force itself. I must face Obi-Wan Kenobi. Alone. The other's been not cold. A couple of you get them down to sick bay. That's me through to the security commander. What's your situation there? Sir, we're in the command office overlooking the captured starship. The scanning crewmen on the ship were knocked unconscious and the guards have been shot. Any sign of the rebels? None, sir. Check the place out thoroughly, then search the entire area. Yes, sir. All right, let's check this place over, top to bottom. There's a storage locker over here. Okay, stand back. You're ready to fire. Now open it. They broke in and attacked the duty crew and locked us in there. They're heading for the prison level. If you hurry, you might still catch them. You, stay on the console and report that. We'll do. The rest of you, follow me. Oh, come along, Archie. Hey, where are you two going? Oh, uh, yes, that's it. All this excitement has overrun the circuits of my counterpart here. If you don't mind, sir, I'd like to take him down to maintenance. Yeah, all right. What? Oh, the handheld comm link. What's that, Troy? Oh, nothing, sir, nothing. Come along, Artu. Master Luke and the others don't seem to have arrived here at the docking bay yet. Something must have happened to them. Wait, is there another computer outlet around here somewhere? Oh, plug yourself into the network. And see if they've been captured. The comic. Oh, I forgot I turned it off. Are you there, Master Luke? Uh, oh, yes, sir. No, we've had some problems. I can't begin to. We're stuck in a garbage compactor. It's closing in on us. Who shut down all the trash smashers on the oh, detention level? Are you copy? Oh, yes, shut down all the garbage oh, smashers um, on the detention level. Yes. We're going to be crushed. No, 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 no. I'll shut them all down. Oh, hurry. They're oh, dying down there. Curse this metal body. I, I must have fast enough to all my fault. My poor master. Oh. What? <laughs> we're safe. 3PO, we're all right. It stopped. We're fine. Oh, it great. Oh, they're alive, R2. Oh. Now, you'll have to get us out of here. Open the pressure maintenance hatch on unit number... Where are we? Uh, 326 
827, did you get it, Arthur? Yes, sir. That's it. Now wait near the ship. We'll meet you there. Yes, sir. Come along, Arthur. <laughs> I figured for a while there we were all going to be a whole lot thinner. <laughs> I never thought those droids would pull it off. And you said you hated machinery that talked back. <laughs> no more. <laughs> okay. Here, dump your armor over there, but hang on to your belt. It's got survival gear on it. Right. <sighs> now we can get out of here. If we can just avoid any more female advice. Come on, Chewie, let's get Listen, see. I don't know who you are or where you came from, but from now on you do as I tell you. Understand? Now look, your worshipfulness. Let's get one thing straight. I take orders from one person, me. It's a wonder you're still alive. Now, will somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way? No reward is worth this. After you, your highness. the Falcon down there. Oh, me too, Chewie. 3PO, 3PO, do you copy? Are you safe? For the moment, Master Luke. R2 and I are directly across the hangar from the ship. We're on the level right above you. Stand by. You mean to tell me that you flew here in that old wreck? You're braver than I thought. Oh, nice, isn't she? Come on. There they are! Uh-oh. Stormtroopers. Let them have it, Chewie! geniuses back there thought of having the blast tours shot ain't getting a promotion for it listen I think we can work our way around to the ship that squeak was too close for me if we get back to her I say we make a break right away whether the rest of them are there or not come on we don't owe nobody nothing nobody but us that is did they care about us when they dragged us into this crazy deal so why should we stick around and maybe get burned down for them? One chance to get out of here with our skins may be all we get, Chewie. Come on, fur face, you're gonna ruin our reputations. All right, let's get back first and see what happens from there. But whatever those rebels offer us for getting that princess back, I want at least twice as much.
<sighs> Are those stormtroopers still out in the corridor? I'll take another look. Oh, yeah. Still there, but they're not headed this way. I think they're guarding that junction down there. They're between us and the ship. We'll have to find a way around them. Well, we're safe enough in this utility compartment for now. If we just wait a minute or two, the troopers might be ordered away to chase Han and Chewie. If not, we can always duck out and try another route. I suppose you're right. <sighs> oh. Luke, <sighs> how'd you get involved in all this? <sighs> it's sort of complicated. See, R2 wound up at our farm on Tatooine. I found your message when I was cleaning him up. R2 ran off to find Ben, and I followed him, but Ben found us instead. Oh. Then we hired Han to bring us to Alderaan. And when you got here, Alderaan was gone. Destroyed. You know about that. I saw it happen. I'm so sorry. The important thing now is to see that it never happens again. Look. Well, they're coming this way. after Han and Chewbacca. And the corridor junction looks clear. Then we better go. You remember the way? I think so. Go there! What? Stand where you are! Come on. Quick, run! Look! Stop! Whoa! I think we took a wrong turn. This must be the central core shaft. There's no way across! We can't go back. They're blocking our way! Shut the hatchway, quick! Shoot the control panel! Stand back! That'll hold for a while. But not for long. We've got to find the control that extends the bridgeway across the shaft. Oh, I think I just blasted it. They're trying to burn their way through the hatch! Sounds like they're succeeding! Look, you better stand on the one side, Princess. Out of the line of fire. I'll try and hold them off. Luke, no! There must be some other way! None that I can see! Look out! What? Up there, across the shaft, more troopers! Just what we needed! Wait a minute! That's it! My belt! I took it off the stormtrooper. Look, it's got a grappling hook on it. We'll swing across the shaft. Here, take the blaster. Keep him busy. Now let's just hope the hook's strong enough. There's enough line on the spool. But where? Where will you secure it? Look, those outlet clusters up in the shaft. There. Here goes. Ha! Look, they're getting the hatch open. The hook caught. We're in business. Grab hold of me tight. Wait. A kiss for luck. We'll need it. Hang on. What? Let me get rid of this line. How do we get to the ship from here? There's a service hatch down there to the left, I think. Let's go. Come on. There's the ship. I take back everything I said about her. Look, there's Han and Chewbacca. What kept you? Me and Chewie were thinking of starting the party without you. We ran into some old friends. Is the ship all right? And where's Ben? And R2 and 3PO? Now, the Falcon seems okay, and the droids are right over there. I haven't seen the old man, though. Let's just hope he puts that tractor beam out of commission and he's on his way back. But that still leaves all those stormtroopers in the hangar to worry about. Yeah, we've been trying to figure out an angle on that. What about the hangar bay doors? I'm counting on them still being on auto. They shoot open when the Falcon gets to them. But the stormtroopers... We won't get another chance like this. If nothing changes in the next few minutes, we're going to have to take them on. What about Ben? We can't do a job on everybody on the garrison, Luke. If he's not back by the time we go, tough luck. I'm not going Luke, anywhere... Luke, you do what you want. Me and Chewie are giving it a couple more minutes and then we're going to make a break for the ship.
I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We meet again at last. A circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now, I am the master. Only a master of evil, Darth. Have you finished whatever petty errand it is that brings you here? The tractor beam, perhaps? I have deactivated it, yes. Little good that will do you, Obi-Wan. Ready? Ready. are weak, old man. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Why don't you stand your ground? Patterns of the Force have reached a nexus. Think you can retreat forever? Learned fear in your old age. A Jedi never forgets how to die, Darth. Why do you glance aside, Obi-Wan? Your young friends? You'll have to forget them. Your life is over. That rests with the Force. Why do you salute? Obi-Wan! Spend defend yourself! Run, Luke! Run, ship! It's over! No! Run, Luke! Run! What's this? His robes. Empty. Obi-Wan's intent, a diversionary tactic, full sacrifice. They made their escape and now they think they've won. By striking me down, you have made me more powerful than you can possibly imagine. stood there and let himself be cut down. Oh, Luke. Why wouldn't he defend himself? I can't explain it to you, Luke. The Jedi lead their lives according to what they believe the Force demands of them, and it's not always something the rest of us can understand. But that still doesn't... I know that Ben must have had some reason, some overriding purpose in allowing Darth Vader to take his life. Vader? That was Vader who killed him? Yes, He's the one who's been trying to recover the plans of the Death Star. Vader killed my father. 
Vader betrayed the Jedi, and Vader's troops killed my aunt and uncle. Luke, calm down. Vader's Can taken I... away everything I ever had, and I ran from him. Don't you understand that? Vader took away everything I ever had. Everything I had too, Luke. Alderaan, your whole world destroyed. How can you live with that? How do you go on? You find a purpose to justify the sacrifice. Like Ben did. Yes. Mine's to stop Vader and Tarkin and the Empire. I think that's worthwhile. What about you? Yes. I do too. It's just... Ben seemed like he'd always be there, you know? Like he was the one thing that I could always count on. And I... What, Luke? I thought I heard him. After he was cut down, I thought I heard him. I was firing at the stormtroopers, and all of a sudden it was as if Ben were at my shoulder, like when he was teaching me to use the lightsaber. He wasn't in my line of vision, but he was there, talking to me. We were all calling to you. You probably mistook I that. heard you and Han, but this was Ben. He said, run, Luke, run. And I did. I can't believe he's gone. I, I, I just can't believe it. There was nothing you could have done. Come on, buddy. We got work to do. We're not out of this yet. What? We'll be coming up on their sentry ships in a minute. We'll have to take them head on. I'd rather have live gunners in the turrets than trust computers. What do you want me to do? Well, Chewie's flying, and I'm taking the top gun turret. I want you to man the belly guns. Oh, well... Uh, look, look, I love to chat all day, but we've got a date with those Imperial TIE fighters. Sure. As for you, your wonderfulness. <laughs> Chewie could use a hand in the cockpit right about now. I'll do what I can, Captain. I'm sure you will, sweetheart. Well, come on! Chewie doesn't like to be kept waiting. Uh. <sighs> Save us from princesses. Okay, you ever fire a quad gun up before? Uh, well, I... Luke! To... No. Well, it's simple. The servos and targeting instrumentation is all standard. Don't rely on your computer alone. Eyeball it once in a while. Whatever you say. Just climb down the ladder into the belly turret and shoot anything that's not us. Clear enough for you? Right. Off you go. When you're in, put on your headset and we'll run you through a couple of test reverses. I'm on my way. Okay. And, kid? Yeah. Okay, take the firing grips and get the feel. Make sure the tracking servos answer promptly. Feels okay. Okay, got your targeting computer engaged? Of course. Good. Your sensors will give you an audio simulation for a rough idea of where those fighters are when they're not on your screen. Right. It'll sound like they're right there in the turret with you. Got it. We've got four TIE fighters closing back. Check. The fighters are breaking. They're almost on us. Stay sharp, Luke. I see him. Lead him, lead him. They're all around us. They're coming in too fast. Well, they're not about to slow down for you. Pay attention to your audio and pick them up on their approach runs, Luke. Han, we're coming your way. I got it. Get back to the close battle control. Don't worry, you'll hold together. Maybe you heard me hold together. That's one. Three to go. What's coming at you, Luke? I'm trying! 
care of him. Han! One coming right at you! I see him! The Millennium Falcon speeds off with her disparate passengers and crew after victories and losses. But the Death Star dogs her track as a final confrontation takes form and patterns emerge from the Force. And freedom and peace are to live or die with the final contest of Death Star against Rebels. Star Wars, Episode 11 by Brian Daly. Based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. Featured in the cast were Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Bernard Barons as Ben Kenobi, Keen Curtis as Tarkin, Perry King as Han Solo, Brock Peters as Darth Vader, and Anne Sachs as Leia. The series was directed by John Madden, with sound mixing and post-production by Tom Vigley. Music by John Williams. Sound design for Lucasfilm by Ben Burt. Story editor for the series was Lindsay Smith. Casting and production coordination by Mel Saar. Executive producer was Richard Toskin. Executive producer for Lucasfilm was Carol Teitelman.